Hello and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Lauren Council, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining in to today's podcast as part of our Dialogues in Dermatology series focused on practice management. My name is Dr. Vinod Nambudiri, and I'm a member of the faculty at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. I'm so pleased today to be joined by Dr. Alexandra Flam, a member of the faculty of the Department of Dermatology at Penn State, who is going to be discussing with us today on the topic of the 2021 definitions of medical decision-making terminologies and their elements. Thank you so much to Dr. Flam for joining us today, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about these changes with everyone today. Great. Well, let's dive right in. There are a number of changes coming to the 2021 Billing and Coding Regulations that I'm sure most of our listeners have heard at least something about regarding medical decision-making, regarding billing by time, several changes that are underway. Focusing on the medical decision-making changes that are about to take place, can you start with a high-level overview of what are we going to be looking out for in 2021? Absolutely. So there are going to be significant changes for how coding for E&M or evaluation and management is performed. Um, some of the most high-level changes or important ones you should be on the lookout for is that determining the level of service now for an E&M visit will be solely based on either medical decision-making or time. The great news is that means there's no more going through checkboxes or lists when documenting a history and physical exam. So all that's required is documentation of a medically appropriate history and physical exam because that will no longer go toward the level of E&M service overall. Another thing to talk about is the idea of coding by time. Time is now going to be defined as total time spent by the physician addressing the patient's problems. This is going to be both face-to-face time, but it's also going to include any work performed both before or after the patient's visit, as long as it is on the same date of service. And then in terms of that medical decision-making, it's going to be based on three components, which I think we're going to be discussing a little bit more in detail later on in this podcast. And two of those three components have to be met or exceeded to code for a specific level of E&M. Wonderful. Lots of really valuable information there. You mentioned these three medical decision-making components. Let's focus on those and talk specifically about any changes to their scope that are coming into play starting January 2021. So to talk about medical decision-making, so there's four levels overall. Those are the same as previous. So straightforward, low, moderate, and high. The three components that will determine the level will be the first off, the number and complexity of problems addressed during the visit. The second is going to be the amount and or complexity of data to be reviewed or analyzed. And then the third is going to be the risk of complications or morbidity or mortality from patient management. Those have generally stayed the same from previous, but there's a lot more granularity and specifics to what goes into each one. This is so it's much easier to code and code consistently when you're going to be going through your E&M documentation. So, Let's go back through these three components, Uh, number and complexity of problems addressed during the visit. So that's going to be how many problems are being addressed. Is this problem self-limited or minor? Is it acute or chronic? 
Is it stable or worsening? These are the questions that are gonna go to this MDN component specifically. The amount and complexity of data to be reviewed or analyzed, this is going to include whether something like outside notes or lab tests are being reviewed in conjunction with the patient's visit, or if an independent historian was required during the visit in order to figure out what was going on with this patient or their problem. And then the risks of complication of morbidity or mortality from patient management. This relates to both the patient's problem and the treatment that would be used to diagnose and or treat the problem. It will include both the options selected and also those considered by you and the patient, but not selected in the end. This will also give you a way to address risks associated with what we call social determinants of health. So was there a treatment option you wanted to take but weren't able to because the patient's work schedule did not allow it or the patient was not able to afford that treatment? This is where social determinants of health may come into the visit itself. Great, and you touched on the fact that these three components, the complexity of the problem, the data review, and then the potential impact of the treatment, these three elements of the medical decision-making map to the levels of service or overall level of MDM that you can use to select your level of service for the visit. Walk us through how that takes place starting January of 2021. I can give you an example that might be the best way to go through something like this. So let's say you have a new patient come in. This patient has a history of severe acne. They've tried a lot of other treatments. We see this often. They've tried topical retinoids. They've maybe tried oral antibiotics. Nothing's really been working for this patient. So that's that medically appropriate history. You do a physical exam. The physical exam is consistent with nodular cystic acne on the face. So that's your appropriate physical exam. Based on that, you decide, I think um, something like isotretinoin might be a great option for this patient. Why don't we go through this? So you document or you discuss the risks and benefits. You get lab work, baseline lab work for this patient, and then you decide to initiate treatment. So I'm going to go through coding by medical decision-making because I think that that's going to be the best way to approach this type of patient. So what would this problem be considered? This would be considered a chronic illness. Um, chronic illness is going to be defined as something that's been present for one year or more, or the patient would be expected to have for the rest of their life. And it has exacerbation, progression, or side effects of treatment. So They've had a treatment before, doxycycline, topical retinoids, and that hasn't worked. So there's progression. This progression is going to be due to the patient's, I guess, what they think should be happening. If the patient thinks that this is progressing despite the expected treatment, that's how you would decide whether a chronic illness is having progression. It's important to discuss with the patient what they think their expected kind of treatment would be. Actually, let me rephrase that in a way that's probably a little more simple. So what is progression going to mean? It's going to be based on the patient's thought process. If the patient thinks this is progressing despite the expected treatment, that's what counts for this number and complexity of problems addressed. So since you have one or more chronic illnesses with exacerbation, progression, or side effects of treatment, that would be considered moderate under number and complexity of problems addressed amount and or complexity of data to be reviewed or analyzed. There's no data that was to be reviewed. 
So that would actually be straightforward for that category, minimal or none. But what about risks of complications? So this is going to be prescription drug management, specifically prescribing the isotretinoin. Prescription drug management is going to be considered moderate under risks of complications. So for your three elements, one moderate, one straightforward, and then one other moderate. Since two of the three elements are moderate, here this would be an overall moderate level of medical decision-making, and this would be considered a moderate encounter. New patient, this would be a 99204. That would be a, a very, I think, classic example for many dermatologists. I think that was very illustrative and helps us frame the intersection or the, the translation from the MDM classification system over to our ENM coding levels. You touched on the scenario of a new patient coming in for evaluation. How about with an established patient? What should we be thinking about with regards to these categories of MDM? How are they similar or different for established patients versus new patients? They're going to be the same categories for established and new patients. The only time you'll have a difference between established and new patients will be when you're coding by time because the time ranges are going to be a little bit different depending on whether the patient is new or established. So just to clarify or reinforce, for either new or established patients, you determine the level of ENM based on two out of the three MDM levels of decision-making. That's correct. Great. Any insights or knowledge as to what the motivation was for introducing these changes to the 2021 billing and coding standards? Yeah, absolutely. We have a lot of background on this. And once you understand the background, the changes actually make a lot more sense. These changes actually came about in response to the 2019 CMS proposed rule. Uh, CMS had wanted to decrease administrative burden and simplify coding selection, and then they specifically focused on the ENM family of codes, which is one of the most commonly used coding families and was last updated actually 30 years ago at this point. So a lot has changed between the 1990s and now. In that proposed rule, CMS recommended consolidating all ENM visits to one fee, whether they were a new or established patient and then creating a new add-on G code that would be used to increase payment for care of complex patients. This would be coupled with a 50% payment reduction for ENM services when reported with a modifier 25, which is something that we actually do a lot as dermatologists. So this would have had a really huge negative impact on us. This recommendation was also put forward without any input from the House of Medicine, which is the usual process for new codes or coding changes, specifically through that CPT RUC process. So given this, the AMA thought, hey, we can do something better, but we can still fulfill these high-level goals of decreasing administrative burden and simplifying coding selection. So a joint work group was created um, with RUC and CPT members in order to formulate new ENM guidelines that would fulfill these same goals. This did include some input from dermatology as well. These ENM revisions were created in a way that could include meaningful input from physicians who would be the ones actually utilizing this family of codes. So given those kind of high level objectives, the discussion between the RUC CPT work group over at least one up to two years. Um, this was how these new coding changes were created. Great. So it definitely sounds like a lot of work uh, 
on behalf of physicians went into creating or updating these codes and, and getting us to where we are. So that sounds that sounds like physician input did have a pretty large say in where we ended up for this. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we want. We are the ones who are using these codes on a day-to-day -day basis. So we want to make sure that we are included in the conversation with how they're created and also what's important. If you look at the new ENM guidelines, again, we're taking away those checkboxes from the history and the physical exam, things that were maybe extraneous information previously. And what are we focusing on? We're focusing on what we do as physicians, medical decision-making. So while it's a big shift, it's a shift in the right direction to, you know, how we actually think as doctors. Focus so far on a lot of these changes that are about to be implemented, maybe for the sake of reassurance and, and reestablishing all of us who've been practicing for some time and our know-how with what's going on in terms of billing and coding, what things are really staying the same starting January 2021 that we don't need to be investing extra effort to think about or adapting to as the changes come into play? Yes, there are still things that are staying the same. We're not trying to turn the world completely upside down here. Uh, you're still going to need to document that chief complaint, the history of present illness, a review of systems as necessary, and any other past medical, family, social history, and a physical exam. You're still doing the assessment and plan. So that skeleton of your note is staying exactly the same. You're just maybe putting a little bit more detail into the second half of that note as opposed to the first half. For instance, the chronicity may be focused on a bit more in the assessment plan as opposed to focusing on it as much in that um, HPI. Great. That's a really tangible example of how we already have a framework in place that supports this kind of work and just thinking about maybe modifying or slightly adapting our existing workflow or thought process to align with the new changes. You mentioned that there are potentially many impacts of this change on practicing dermatologists. What might some of those be or how do you see this playing out for the field of dermatology, these new uh, billing and coding changes? I think there'll be some good and maybe some that's a little bit more difficult. So what's good? We're streamlining documentation. We're decreasing the need to include that extraneous information, especially in the history and the review of systems, physical exam as well. But what will we need to do? There's going to be a thoughtful shift in how we approach documenting medical decision-making. Again, chronicity, prognosis, response to expected treatment, may need to be discussed much more explicitly in documentation than previously, as well as uh, what records were reviewed, if any, and the risks associated with all treatments offered, not just the ones taken. This has been very helpful, Alex. What are some resources or additional sources of information that our listeners can turn to if they are looking for more information on this topic or to help them out if they have questions? That's a great question. There's a lot of great resources out there. The number one tool I'm going to stress is that the AAD is creating a 2021 ENM coding tool that will actually let you walk through a patient encounter you may have and specifically through medical decision making so that you can figure out what level of service your patient encounter might fall under in the new 2021 coding tool. And this will also go through if you want to code based on time. That's what I'm really going to stress. Um, 
there's put a lot of thoughtful effort put into creating this. And um, I think playing around with it even before the 2021 guidelines officially go into effect will be very helpful as we move to these changes. I also know that the uh, coding team is always available for any specific questions you may have. And additionally, the AMA itself has put out a guideline and some training on how to approach this. Those I don't have specifics on. I can always um, give those to you later on to include. And lastly, if you're part of a larger medical group or institution, they are going to often also have some coding guidelines and seminars for 2021. I know that we just had one at Penn State that I went through. While it's not dermatology specific, they also really unpack some of these changes in a great way. And some other physicians and other specialties may be able to highlight some questions or issues you may not have even thought of during their question and answer sessions. Our listeners, the AAD's 2021 coding tool is available through their practice management center on the website. So if any of you are looking for that information, just search for it on the AAD's practice management center and you can start playing around with it. It's already live. So thank you for highlighting that, Dr. Flam. Any final thoughts as we wrap up this conversation today that you'd want to have our listeners take away? Absolutely. What I'll say is change is always scary. It it can be very daunting. We're in a world that's changing extremely rapidly. And many people may think, oh my gosh, one other change that I have to deal with. But just keep in mind while this represents a shift in what our previous workflow was with documentation, in the long run, this is a benefit for a lot of dermatologists. It's going to decrease documentation burden remove the need to include extraneous information in patient notes, and focus on documenting based on the way we think as physicians. Additionally, time is going to be so much more of an important thing. We're able to code for a level of E&M based on all the time we spend with a patient, not just that face-to-face time, but also all the preparation that you're doing before the visit and all the follow-up you're doing after the visit on the date of service. Well, I really want to thank Dr. Alexandra Flam for joining us today on this episode of our Dialogues in Dermatology podcast focusing on practice management issues. And I'd like to thank all of you for listening into this episode. Thanks so much. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Lauren Council, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcast. We hope you enjoyed these new options for listening to Dialogues and the increased content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.